Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey, everybody, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Guy Marzarati, in for Marisa Lagos. And today, on this first political breakdown for 2024, we check in on the state capitol, where the legislative session is just underway. It is indeed, and there are lots of big issues on the agenda. And at the very top of the list, closing a massive $68 billion budget deficit. We'll dig into the options facing the governor and lawmakers after Newsom unveils his draft budget plan in the coming days. That plus all the bills to come, changes in leadership, and oh yeah, all in an election year. (laughs) Oh yeah, 2024, it is an election year. We're going to be joined by Simia Kamal, who covers the Capitol for Cal Matters. But first of all, Guy, um, and we should say we're going to talk with Kamal about this. She was in the assembly yesterday when those uh, disruptions occurred. Uh, these were uh, primarily, I guess, Jewish folks who were opposed to the war. They want to cease fire. And you just, it seems like everywhere you turn, this is disrupting politics. Uh, and it's particularly bad for Democrats, I think you'd have to say. Yeah, particularly difficult. I think, yeah, you saw the protests in the Capitol on the first day of the session. This issue is not going away. And you really have to start to think about what the impact is going to be on the March 5th primary election, particularly, as you said, for Democrats in races in which there are blue seats, you have different progressives running against each other. I think about, you know, the five congressional races we have in California, three in Los Angeles, two in the Bay Area, where you have open seats, basically, in Democratic districts. You have candidates running those races who I know when they thought about running for Congress, whenever it was, were not thinking the Middle East was going to be the (laughs) issue that they would have to be front and center. But they're going to have to realize the reality that this is the first or second question that they're going to get asked at every candidate forum, debate by voters. They're going to need to have a position on the ceasefire. Um, and it's, you know, it's going to be a potentially a, a challenge in these kind of uh, crowded fields, maybe yeah. a litmus test for it, some progressives. Exactly. And in the Senate race, I mean, you could say Barbara Lee, this is kind of her brand. Uh, she has supported a ceasefire from the very beginning. She was, of course, famously the only vote against authorization for use of force uh, in Afghanistan after 9-11. Uh, Katie Porter has now joined her as well, calling for a ceasefire. Conditionally. Conditionally, releasing the hostages. I mean, that's certainly not something Hamas has agreed 
agree to. And then you've got uh, Adam Schiff, who is basically in line with the Biden administration. And, you know, whether or not it's a top line issue, there, it will be for some voters. And it isn't just a matter of getting their vote. It's will they bother to vote, you know, if they're so angry with the party. Yeah. I mean, it, it's become a thing. The issue environment has been favorable to Barbara Lee really, you know, since this all started in October. And we saw her, you know, take advantage of it to a certain extent at the Democratic Party convention, get a lot of support um, from progressives there. You have to imagine there was a debate announced today, the first debate uh, in the Senate campaign that our friends at Fox 11 Politico are going to be hosting uh, on January 22nd. You have to imagine that's another huge platform for Barbara Lee to really you know, make this her issue, to say this is an issue where if you're progressive and you're wondering which way to vote, you know, I've made this clear stand on on the ceasefire. Um, we'll see how how long the legs are on this issue. But certainly for now, it's an issue environment that favors Barbara Lee and maybe could catapult her up in, in the polls. Yeah. And, you know, timing is everything. And right about now, it's a little early still, I think, because ballots don't go out until February. But, you know, people are starting, you know, the new year is now behind us. Uh, people are starting to pay attention. And so for some people, this may be the first real look that they give to these candidates. And so how they position themselves on on this and other things is really going to be very important. You know, it seems like forever ago that uh, Governor Newsom went to Israel right. uh, and met with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and some of the uh, uh, families who had had kidnapped relatives. It seemed pretty easy, relatively speaking, back then, you know, where to be. And, and things have just gotten so much more complicated. And we're going to see that play out, not just in Sacramento and in Washington, but Perhaps you have to, you know, thinking ahead to the conventions, you know. Or, I mean, even you raise a good point about Newsom and the challenge there, because you're talking for state officials, for local officials about an issue in which they don't have a whole lot of say in how this plays out. I mean, at least in a congressional contest, you know, you're talking about foreign policy. But this is being taken up resolutions on this, non-binding resolutions in city councils all across California and putting a lot of local electeds uh, in, a, in a difficult position. I think you could say the same for Newsom and state legislators who this is not really something that's on the legislative agenda, but yet, as we saw in the opening day of the session, something that's clearly looming over what's happening in Sacramento. Absolutely. And so we're going to see how that plays out. Uh, and, uh, you know, it could uh, could play out well uh, up to, to November. All right. We are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Simia Kamal of Cal Matters. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 
And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Guy Marzarati. And with the new legislative session underway up in Sacramento, we've invited one of our California newsroom colleagues to help us make sense of the big issues on the docket up at the Capitol. Samia Kamal covers state politics and policy for Cal Matters, and she joins us from Sacramento. Hey, Samia. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for being here. And we should say just uh, at the top here that uh, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. So as you're hearing this yesterday, but on Wednesday, the assembly had a very lively uh, session. Uh, There were some protests. You were there. Tell us what happened. Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, it's first day of session. I think there were um, a lot of just issues and bills that lawmakers were ready to tackle. But um, shortly after gaveling in, um, uh, protesters up in the gallery, which overlooks, you know, where the lawmakers are sitting. Um, these are protesters from Jewish Voice for Peace. And if not now, um, they began singing in support of a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, and so lawmakers called the action out of order and then they quickly called a recess and emptied the chamber. Um, but, you know, uh, soon after that, they actually never came back to session. They just adjourned until Thursday. And then outside of the the chamber room, um, there were more protesters who were singing and chanting um, and, you know, just continuing the, the calls for um, a ceasefire. So clearly this issue is not going away uh, anytime soon at the legislature. We also saw a group of Republicans introduce a resolution condemning Hamas. Tell us what's going on with that and then why one Republican has not signed on to that. Yeah, so the assembly resolution um, basically condemns Hamas. It, um, you know, in the text, it sort of goes over, you know, some of the the brutality against um, hostages that were taken on October 7th. And, um, so it's, uh, you know, I talked to the assembly member who introduced the resolution, James Gallagher, and he said that um, the goal or the purpose was for California to make a strong statement. Now, some would argue that California has already made um, some song- strong statements. You know, the governor, um, after October 7th, did travel to Israel on his way to China for the climate conference this fall. Um, and there have been, you know, several um uh, letters from the legislature from the various diversity caucuses. So, um, you know, it's I, I think some people see this as just a way to force Democrats to take a vote on the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it does put them in a tough spot. I mean, we saw this is sort of what happened at the Capitol is kind of an echo of what we saw uh, last year at the Democratic Convention, a guy, you were there uh, up in Sacramento, and there were similar kinds of protests, uh, pro-Palestinian, uh, Jewish, and otherwise, uh, calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. And, and I, we've seen some polling that shows a lot of, uh, very, very much split, not just among Democrats, but among uh, people in California, voters in general. And I'm just wondering, uh, you know, does the do you think, Simia, that this puts the governor in, in a hot spot at all? Or is he, you know, I know he did meet recently uh, with some of the leadership of the uh, Arab American and Palestinian communities? Yeah, I think initially, um, you know, those communities felt a bit ignored or unheard. Um, And, you know, as time has gone on and as the death toll in Gaza has climbed, um, I think lawmakers, including Governor Newsom, have been um, just trying to figure out how to respond to their constituents. I think that's the big thing is what our constituents asking for and how do they respond and how, you know, some 
how do you balance uh, the different things that people are asking for that might you know, seem in contrast to each other. So yeah, I, I think um, Newsom also has to kind of follow um, what the U.S. does, what the federal government does. Um, he's not going to take a stance that contradicts President Biden. So that's another factor that determines how the state of California responds, um, limited as it is in, in what the state itself can do. Right. That's a great point, because it's almost like we've seen Newsom be cheerleader number one for Biden uh, through through all of 2023. It's almost like he's kind of boxed himself in to the point where he can't go where a lot of Democrats have started to go and really call uh, more forcefully for a ceasefire. Although, in fairness, Biden himself uh, and uh, Secretary of State Blinken have kind of walked back uh, some of their comments. Slowly. Slowly. (laughs) It's slowly, but pushing Israel both privately and publicly. But, you know, to to the impact it's having is unclear. Right. Well, we want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the budget. The, you know, Assembly, Senate, Newsom are all facing down a $68 billion budget shortfall. Um, big picture, Samir, we don't have to get you know so much into the nitty gritty of the budget, but big picture, what's kind of the panic level you're hearing in Sacramento from lawmakers, staffers, lobbyists, others? Yeah, I'm hearing that it, we are not at crisis level, but it is a serious problem. Um, it's the largest deficit to date, but not by the percentage of the overall budget. Um, and, you know, I, I think part of why it doesn't feel like crisis level yet is that the state is in better shape to handle it compared to during the Great Recession. Um, and part of that is because the state has been putting billions of dollars into reserves since then. I wonder, you know, the, if in order for those reserves, the rainy day fund to be spent, the governor has to declare a fiscal emergency and then the legislature has to approve the expenditure of that money. Uh, he did that during COVID, you know, and that was sort of an easy call. But I'm wondering, I don't know, Guy, what you think uh, or Samia, like anytime you, you declare a fiscal emergency, you know, for a guy who's trying to raise his own profile. But everything's fine. Everything's fine. Don't nothing to see here. Uh, I wonder if that's going to, you know, have an impact on him and his, you know, willingness to do that. Well, I do think big, I mean, budget and also to me, I'm interested to get your take on this and in, in the larger legislative agenda it's hard to escape the fact that almost the entire legislature is running for something on March 5th, right? You have this looming primary election. So whether you're talking about the budget, I mean, the legislative analyst office came out and said the best path for the legislature to take is to come out early, take early action, roll back a lot of the spending that maybe was approved last year, but hasn't taken effect. That's a lot easier said than done when you're one of those lawmakers, you know, trying to appeal to voters uh, in, in the primary election and starting to cut spending. Is that, I mean, Samir, do you sense that big picture legislatures, you know, legislators are are facing this election? And and how does that kind of loom over everything that's happening in the Capitol in the next month or so? Yeah, I just heard from Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel after the session that, um, you know, it's going to impact everything that they do. The budget is king. And, um, you know, not, not, I know the Legislative Analyst Office the recommendations that they made to address the gap assume that if you know in many of those options assume that we you know the state would call a budget emergency um i, I do think that's uh, tricky for lawmakers in an election year um the the other you know one of the ways that they could the state always has a few options of you know closing that budget gap including you know how to how to get more revenue one way is raising taxes no one's going to want to suggest that in an election year <laughs> talking um, about a poison <laughs> pill during an election year yeah <laughs> yeah so you know what are the other options dipping into reserves um 
uh, more just cuts to programs, delaying more spending, which we already did, the state already did last year um, because we're facing a, a deficit, although not as large as what we're seeing this year. Um, yeah, and yeah. you know the old saying from Willie Sutton, you know, why do you rob banks? He said that's where the money is. Uh, and so, you know, in the in the case of the state budget, a lot of it is in education. So uh, I would imagine we're gonna, you know, that clearly that's going to be on the chopping block. It has to be, right? Um, that's actually one of the areas that Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel, who is the chair of the Budget Committee, noted that he did not want to cut classroom spending. So <laughs> okay. um, it's you know that's Cross a that off. yeah. yeah. <laughs> But um, and and social services in general, um, the state is also a kind of you know it prides itself on the progress made on homelessness and climate spending. So you know what does that leave? <laughs> right. Why well, I'm interested. I mean, transit funding. I think that was something that Newsom eyed last year, kind of put in the crosshairs, and then ultimately got worked out that there was you know more money ended up going to transit agencies like BART, uh, who got a lifeline. I wonder if that same debate kind of plays out uh, this year, especially given the size of the potential shortfall we're talking about? Yeah, I think that would be um, kind of tricky given that the money has already been allotted to the agencies. And, you know, um, but, I, you know, the second part of that transit budget discussion was about, um, you know, in the Bay Area, which has especially been struggling, the, the transit agencies there, um, you know, they were talking about a bond measure. But that's, you know, becoming an option for so many of the things that might face cuts that, you know, how many bond measures can you put in front of voters next year? Um, how much can you, you know, ask voters to take on increased costs at a time when I think people are already feeling the crunch? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I do think that some of these problems have been brewing for some time, certainly in transit. And it's been papered over to a large extent through the federal government, like right. funding all this money into propping up BART and Muni and other public transit. We just got $3 billion, I think it was, for high-speed rail uh, that was announced as part of, the, a part of the infrastructure deal. So that gravy train is uh, is definitely uh, running uh, running running out right now. Um, in terms of the, the legislature, Samia, what are you seeing um, on the docket in terms of, uh, you know, things like dealing with, you know, the insurance crisis or other big, big picture items? Yeah, that is something that um, lawmakers could not resolve last year. They couldn't reach a deal. And, you know, the the issue was um, insurance companies are finding it really hard to operate in California. They are either um, limiting the options available to California homeowners and specifically those who live in wildfire prone areas. Um, so, uh, you know, what the insurance companies have been asking for is easing the restrictions over um, rate increases. Now, do you um, keep those companies in California or do you raise insurance costs for homeowners? Um, so I think that puts that's part of um, what the legislature could not come to an agreement on last year. And so that is one of the big things that they will be taking up um, this year. Um, in addition to that, I think other public safety issues like you know, the fentanyl crisis, retail theft. Um, another big area I'm hearing about is artificial intelligence. Um, I think just today, first day of session, we're already um, hearing of, you know, some bills being introduced. Uh, so plenty, plenty of big things this year. Yeah, we want to dive into a few of those, but just want to remind our listeners, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Guy Marzarati here with Scott Schaefer. Our guest today, Samia Kamal. She covers the state capitol and California politics for Cal Matters. You mentioned public safety, criminal justice. I think that was so fascinating to watch last year after 
what really was like a decade of support for criminal justice reforms in the legislature, it seemed like perhaps the pendulum started to swing a little bit the other way. You saw, you know, more support among moderate Democrats for enhancing criminal penalties on things like fentanyl. And then now legislature returns and right off the bat, you're seeing bills introduced by Democrats to change Prop 47, which was the 2014 uh, criminal justice reform ballot measure. What are you watching for in this debate as it plays out this year? Yeah, um, so one of the early bills that um, we saw introduced um, on the first day of session was by Assemblymember Carlos Villapudua, and um, he is introduced a referendum that would revise Prop 47 um, and some of the unintended outcomes that, you know, he thinks came out of that um, proposition. It would change the uh, threshold um, for petty theft and shoplifting to be charged as a felony, um, which, you know, he said it has fueled, you know, more uh, repeat offenses and um, zero to low accountability. Um, Although we also- should say the governor has really pushed back on that, noting that, you know, California now has the, th- the same threshold as Texas and other states. And some states, it's even- oh, Texas, yeah, higher, yeah. Yeah, it's even higher. So, you know, it's, but you're right. It, it does get blamed a lot. It does seem to be the favorite thing to blame Prop 47 in general for smashing grabs and property crimes and all that stuff. Right. But I, I think the other side, the, the pushback to that is, you know, where that came from, that criminal justice reform, um, you know, the ways that the criminal justice system was targeting um, people of color, um, you know, the black community, especially. And so um, I think that debate will continue. Um, And, you know, I I think we didn't see a lot of resolution on that last year. So I think that debate will be another big one this year. Where do you see legislative leadership, particularly Robert Rivas, uh, starting his first full year as Assembly Speaker on an issue like this, Proposition 47 sentencing, because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There was this initial hearing the legislature held on retail theft, and a lot of Democrats really kind of held their ground and said, no, you know, we're not just going to give in to kind of the the trend of the day and push for, for changes to Prop 47. Do you have a sense of where Revis kind of falls on this issue? Um, not in depth, I know that he created a special committee to look into retail theft, but I think in general, aside from, you know, uh, naming new committee chairs, we're still kind of watching to see what his leadership style is like compared to Anthony Rendon, who he took over from, um, you know, last summer. So um, I, I think remains to be seen what his approach on this will be. We do know, Guy, though, that he's uh, shifted up some of the committee chairs and uh, public safety had been uh, the domain of Reggie Jones-Sawyer. And there was a lot of criticism in the way he handled some of the fentanyl bills last year. Also, that bill on child trafficking, which uh, Governor Newsom kind of rescued after it had been killed, uh, Shannon Grove's bill. Um, And then, you know, you've got Kevin McCarty in there now from Sacramento. Uh, You know, obviously, like... Who I don't think of as, like, uh, uh, you know, moderate or, you know, I, I, I kind of think of him as a progressive. So I don't, I'm not sure what. He was also a Rendon changes. guy. I think. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, so so I'm not sure what material changes we see, although you're right. Like Reggie Jones, by certainly by the end of last year, was seen as like the person holding the line on a lot of, you know, reforms these reforms. Changes, yeah. But, you know, it does raise another question, Simia, which is, you know, you mentioned Jesse Gabriel, who is now the chair of the budget committee. Phil Ting from San Francisco had been the chair. And I'm wondering, you know, these this kind of shifting around of some of these committees that are key to the budget, 
appropriations now chaired by Buffy Wicks from the East Bay. I, I, you know, I'm wondering if you think that the you know relative lack of experience that these folks have. I mean, it's been relatively easy to be doling out money as chair of the budget committee. Now you've got to tighten your belt, and you've got Jesse Gabriel saying, "Well, we don't want to touch education." Well, you know, there's a wake up call coming. I think, huh? Yeah, um, you know, I think the way that committee chairs were assigned was sort of uh, loyalty and, you know, um, interest of the lawmakers. But I think you're right that um, this is a new, you know, new speaker, new chairs with um, less experience. Um, So, yes, I, I do think that will be interesting to watch as the year plays out. I think the headline of 2023 in the legislature was labor and just the tremendous amount of gains they made uh, legislatively. How does that move forward in 2024? Are there things you think, you know, labor and allies will bring back uh, that weren't successful last year? Newsom, for example, he vetoed that bill, giving striking workers unemployment benefits. I don't know if if that's coming back. Um, But where do you kind of see labor trying to build on the wins they had from last year? Yeah, the... the bill you mentioned, the striking workers, is an interesting one because I think the moment was so hot with that bill. We were in the hot labor summer. There were, you know, Hollywood actors and writers on strike for, I think, hundreds of days at that point um, uh, when the bill was uh, vetoed. Um, And so, you know, whether that momentum is still there, you know, we're not seeing maybe that same level of of workers on strike. Um, But that said, uh, labor's, you know, power and influence in the legislature, I don't think has declined. Um, and, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that a labor bill was vetoed and came back and succeeded the next year. I think we saw that with the farm worker unionization bill, um, which, you know, um, was signed the year after it was vetoed. Um, so I think we will continue to see labor as a, as a powerful force. Um, but, um you know, we did see some big wins, I think, last year, including the expansion of paid sick leave from uh, three to five days. And um, Well, you have to wonder, too, if some of these things aren't going to be delayed in terms of their implementation because they did have some, you know, some dollar, dollar, big dollar signs before them. Um, just in the few seconds, minutes, I should say, we have left, um, you mentioned AI, artificial intelligence. That is a huge issue uh, affecting you know the country. Uh, President Biden issued an executive order last year. We've got uh, lawmakers, including uh, you know several in uh, Rebecca Bauer-Khan um, in the East Bay, talking about regulating, coming up with a framework. Is this even something, I mean, is this an issue that the legislature has the wherewithal to get its arms around? That hasn't stopped them before. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I mean, it's so complicated. I mean, you know, you, you, add, you add into that the you know the homeowner insurance crisis. I mean, these are big, big issues. And I guess it, whether or not they have the expertise, it's better to do it in the legislature than at the ballot box. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think we're already seeing the introduction of many bills, um, and so and. It's, it's been, I think, we're going to see a bit of a tug of war. Um, you know, we saw a lot of the fight between the tech industry and the legislature when it came to social media regulation, um, you know, impacts on kids and, and um, those kinds of things. So I think we're going to see a different kind of battle take place this year um, between between those groups. I also think the stakes just get amplified by the fact that it's unlikely Congress is going to come together and do something on this. And it's almost like the digital privacy debate where California might just end up setting 
national standards by the virtue of like, you know, we have a, a more functioning uh, legislative body. So, Mia, the last thing we want to hit on is reparations. Um, we could see a big debate in the legislature this year. We're expecting a, a large bill package coming out of last year's reparations task force report. Um, what are you expecting on that front? Because I know there's so much conversation about the cash reparations piece of this for black Californians. But I think it's worth noting a lot of what the task force recommended that had no price tag also got voted down in the legislature last year. Um, where do you see this going in the next year? Yeah, I think, um, like you said, even the things that don't have a price tag, I think it's going to be really hard for Californians to see um, as we're going, as we're hearing about the $68 billion budget deficit to talk about, you know, cash and reparations to um, to people. And um, I, I think it's interesting. Something I've been keeping an eye on is, those conversations that happened after the George Floyd protests, you know, um, and all these lawmakers who came out like very strongly in support of racial justice and, and you know, kind of addressing some wrongs. And this is, you know, a very um, like in your face uh, vehicle for which to do that. But um, given the budget deficit, I think, you know, it's it might be hard for lawmakers to sort of sell to their constituents like as where as we don't have the money right now, we're talking about this money that wouldn't, you know, um, be given out this year. But um, I, I think it's hard to like hold those thoughts at the same time sometimes and yeah, like exactly. say that this money will become coming down the line. Absolutely. And we've seen, you know, similar issues playing out here in San Francisco with Mayor London Breed kind of holding a line as well. All right. That is going to do it. Samia Kamal covers the state capitol for Cal Matters. Thank you so much. Thanks, for Samia. Us. Thank you. And that's a wrap for Thursday, January 4th. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer today is Catherine Monahan, and our producer is Izzy Bloom. We are excited to say that starting Monday, Political Breakdown goes daily weekday afternoons. We'll have even more conversations and analysis for this 2024 election year. More on that to come. For today, I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Guy Marzarati. Thanks for listening. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.